even in the most nuts and bolts of all craft that people encounter, at some point, they appear to enter into some kind of dialogue with these creatures, usually a, um, a psychic dialogue, not a verbal dialogue. And the creatures start telling them, you know, they, they, they start out telling them things like, be good to one another, stop the violence, stop uh, polluting, uh, no nuclear uh, weapons, um, no nuclear energy, those kinds of things. You know, it's, you know, I'll have some granola and grower ponytails and uh, enjoy that. <laughs> but then they start talking about the intergalactic one is coming. And, uh, you know, Jesus was, was a bearer of truth, but he's not the Messiah. The true Messiah is coming. Now, these are the same beings, you know, that we know are coming out of the craft. And they start talking to us about the true Messiah and about how we need. Anyway, it really becomes um, a dialogue more like um, uh, sitting with new age hippies. And uh, all of the all of the same types of uh, things that that uh, new age people who, who channel foreign spirits, uh, you know, uh, it's the same message, which really gives me pause. And then it's filled with uh, doctrines of who is Messiah, what is God, who are we, who created us. It's all wrong. It, it's all twisted, just like if it were a satanic message. And that's what really got me interested is the deceptive nature of the message. And not only me, but the, the people with bigger brains than mine, like Jacques Vallée, uh, the, the, the greatest of all uh, researchers, have, have come to understand that this is a real problem, that the message seems to be deceptive and it seems to be demonic. Welcome to another episode of The Cultural Hall. I would wonder... Is there anyone out there who considers themselves to be a super fan of the Cultural Hall? I'm really looking to be able to increase our uh, interactivity, uh, both on the Cultural Hall back row and in our Patreon group. So, I mean, it may be that it's a Patreon subscriber who's willing to take up this role, but it may be someone who just wants to be a Patreon subscriber, maybe can't find themselves the money to be able to do that. If you are willing to be our interactivity specialist, and I can explain to you what that means, go ahead and send an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. I look forward to be able to work with you and uh, you be able to work with all the other social media people, uh, constantly looking to uh, fill roles within the cultural hall. And the best part is just like church callings, they don't pay at all. So it really is going to have to come from a place of passion. Uh, oh, passion, just like what you hear in this episode of the cultural hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and you know what? There, there's no bones about what we're going to be talking about, mainly because I don't know if aliens have bones. Yeah, UFOs and aliens and other life forms and planets, and, and who knows where this episode will go. I'm excited, and a huge thanks to the folks over at Cedar Fort for allowing us to be able to sit with James Thompson. James, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Richie. I have to know before we get any further in this, as we're talking about Worlds Without Number, a book that you have written uh, that is available for people to purchase in the show notes of this episode. Uh, I, I would be curious, does, does the writing of this book for you mean that you have either had an alien encounter, been abducted, had an experience where you've seen? I need to know this before we go anywhere else. Well, I, uh, in the introduction, I tell people I have no personal acts to grind. I'm not trying to convince anyone um, that I'm not crazy because of my experience. So no, I don't have, I'm not a personal experiencer, as we say. Although, like a lot of people, like I was, well, I shouldn't say, but I've talked with some people <laughs> that, whose names you might recognize, mm -hmm. and they say, yeah, James, I saw something, you know, some lights in the sky that were doing things that didn't seem right. And I've actually seen that. I, I've seen some things in the sky that I don't quite understand what they were. But uh, nothing up close and personal. Okay, so then we, before we jump back into that, I want to know a little bit about who you are. Where are you from? What's your interaction with the church? Uh, give, me, give me all that stuff. A brief bio about yourself. Well, uh, from Oregon originally, come from a partial uh, member family, and so we were active, inactive. But I finally went on a mission, went to northern Italy, the part of a mission, came home, and I've always uh, um, served uh, in the church whenever asked. I'm a high priest in the church now. I was a 70 for many years, uh, you know, stake 70, and uh, I'm still active. 
I have a perfume intolerance, so I've really enjoyed the uh, online church the last year and a half. <laughs> now, that that's a lot of different things to pick up. Let's start right there with the perfume intolerance. That's more common, I think, than people recognize. Like just, you know, you say perfume intolerance, and I, and I think that that's a thing where people would be like, oh, yeah, you know, the, that one lady or that one gentleman in the ward that wears too much. But to some people, those, those sensory... Um, like interactions can be too much, even if they're just barely anything. Is that the camp that you fall into? We are all like being slowly poisoned by industrial perfumes in our environment. And at some point, I mean, I, I turned 66 the other day. And I, so I've been around for a while and it just got worse and worse and worse. One day I woke up and my lips were all swollen, went to the mm. doctor and found out it was perfume intolerance. And as I get older, it gets worse and worse. And I am told by some people in the medical profession that we are all ticking time bombs at various stages of becoming, uh, um, uh, you know, hitting that event horizon for when it's just too much. Hmm. And hey, I ride with my teenage daughters in the car and I say, who's got perfume? And uh, <laughs> daughter will say, hey, so, uh, sorry, it's just some mascara that I put on. That's how much uh, perfume is in our environment these days. So no, it's not that one lady at church. Yeah. It's it's uh, shampoos and lotions and conditioners and um, aqua velva and the high priest group and everything else. Yeah, <laughs> the aqua velva. <laughs> For those that don't know, next time yeah. you hit a you hit a uh, grocery store, find your bottle of aqua velva, and you'll be like, "Oh, that's exactly that's that smell. That's that, and and it's that smell that lingers long after the gentlemen have left the room. You can come mm-hmm. back into the room where the aqua velva has been and go, "Oh, I know that." And, and you know, speaking of like the perfumes and things like that, I. I know that with folks that people are saying, uh, you know, the different metals that are in things like deodorants and and some mm-hmm. of those things. I mean, there there is there's so many uh, contaminants, even just down to like the water and microplastics. Like this is a much bigger conversation, but I'm sorry that you have to deal with that. And I know that no, for no, many, okay. but for many that have had that experience of Zoom Church, it's a way that they can access, feel the spirit, be able to interact with folks, and not have to mm-hmm. put their health in peril as they go to worship. Uh, and here sitting by myself, raising my hand. Yeah, you know. exactly. And <laughs> anyone who's passing by is like, why is that guy in that room doing that? <laughs> but, all right. Uh, in Utah, we would probably know exactly why. The other thing that you mentioned is you served a mission in Italy and also that you were 66. So that would have been early 70s, late 60s serving a mission? No, actually. Uh, or late I went, 70s. I went a couple of years later. So it was, I think it went out 77. Okay. What what was the mission like in Italy then? Oh, it was very good. Uh, It hadn't been open that long. In fact, uh, our mission president had been one of the original missionaries to open it 10 years earlier. Okay. And so he uh, was barely married and having children in the mission. Wow. (laughs) He was was like 28 when he was called to be a mission president. I I can't imagine a more tough situation Mm-hmm. than serving a mission in Italy. Like there's there there's Catholicism in the United States and then there's the Catholicism of Italy. Was the work able to move forward? Did you find what you deemed to be success? Not necessarily conversions, but success? Well, I had a lot of success. I, I had a firm grasp on the gospel, even at a young age. And I just shared the, shared the gospel message from my heart. Um, um, let the spirit do the uh, converting. And uh, so I had a lot of success. Uh, as a mission, though, we didn't. Uh, we had, I believe it was one and a half baptisms per missionary, hmm. per two-year mission. And, and did you find that same success for you? Uh, and, no. and, and or slash, are you still in contact with any family that may have converted in the time with your connection? Well, I'm still in contact with one or two of the families. I had a lot more success, as I say. I, for whatever reason, I didn't do it the standard way. I would... Um, Oh, for instance, we had a Book of Mormon days where we would show big film uh, productions and we would advertise heavily in rent halls and have hundreds of people come and, and we would show them, you know, ancient America speaks and and uh, this is what's going on down in South America. And these things tend to line up with things that we uh, learn in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And people were very interested and a lot of people uh, studied more and joined the church as a result of that. Wow. Uh, were you also serving at the time when it was uh, 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 discussions of rote that you would memorize them and, and there were oh, yes. numbered discussions? That was quite a feat in those days, too, mm-hmm. because we would go into the MTC, which was actually the LTM, but I say MTC because I don't want people to always know how old I am. <laughs> but it was it was the end of the LTM days. and uh, But it was when the new facility was just being built and we were some of the first ones in the new facility there in Provo. And uh, we would have to learn 
day after day, page after page, thousands of unrelated uh, um, uh, syllables that meant nothing to us. I wish they would have just taught us the language rather than make us memorize the discussions because memorizing the discussions really didn't do that much for us. But learning the language, uh, once once we started learning the language, then we could you know speak from the heart and speak from the spirit. You mentioned uh, that you have kids, teenage daughters, which leads me yes. to think that you have either been married or are currently married. Tell me how you met her. Well, I have been married and my wife was, uh, um, she comes from a, uh, uh, I would say prominent family in Denmark, but uh, she has since moved on, but we have children. The last of my children is 17. She's at home and uh, I have a daughter who's been attending BYU Hawaii, but uh, uh, tomorrow she's coming home to attend BYU in Provo. Oh, so wow. those are the last two of the children and uh, that I take care of. It, and is that for you mentally, is that the final stretch where you're like, oh, I'm so close. <laughs> I, I, I am to the point almost where it's bathrobe all day if I want to. I don't have to go anywhere, drive anywhere to do anything. I've, uh, uh, my life is almost my own again. Let me just say, in case my children are listening, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, very much. <laughs> I, I, I find that fascinating about uh, parenthood, being being single for the entirety of my 20s and seeing mm -hmm. friends who got married very early and seeing them struggle with young children, not struggle that they didn't love them, but, you know, getting used to being parents of small children. And now as I'm getting older and, and, and um, you know, all of their teenage kids are, are starting to go out, go to college, get married, go on missions, all of these things. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm getting my life back. And I had a kid for a, a few years with my ex-wife and, and now I'm not, you know, personally responsible for him. And I'm like, yeah, this life that I've been leading for my entire life, I welcome you back to it. It's great. You will, mm -hmm. you will love the opportunity to do it, but I will never have grandkids as you guys would have grandkids, obviously. Yeah. Well, I've got three grandkids now. We've uh, better than you know, better so than being a parent. There, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we learn a lot as parents in marriage, in family. We learn. We learn to be like Heavenly Father, hmm. and and we become very uh, uh, empathetic, if not sympathetic, for what He goes through. We, you know, we we see people making bad decisions, people that we love. We see people making good decisions, people that we love, and and so we have a little a little view of what Heavenly Father must go through on a daily basis. So you're saying that even, even though it may not be too late for me to be a parent now, mm -hmm. my wife mm -hmm. is younger than me, you're urging me to do it? You get, at least consider it? Having my yes, own kids? at least consider if you're ready, if yeah. the Spirit moves you. Okay, I appreciate that. Sure. Uh, so you decided to write a book. Worlds Without Number is the name of it, mm -hmm. as I mentioned at the top of this whole thing. Uh, I... With just the title of it, I don't know that it leads me to to immediately go, oh, yeah, you know, UFOs and interplanetary travel and, you know, living things and we're going to get into collab and stuff like that. I sort of think of it as an expanse of galaxies and we are just this small unit in a massive thing. Tell me what gets you Let so me... fascinated about not Earth. Okay. Let's start out with, um, before my mission, our stake patriarch talked to us a little bit about a brother in the stake who had come to him years before and told him about a very close encounter that he'd had. So I, I had that, you know, in my head and I went out on a mission and my missionary companion, Stan Harder, told me about seeing a UFO right in front of him as he was taking a dog for a walk. And uh, it was just the standard craft, you know, dome disc. It was it was hovering over a house in a new construction area. Then it zoomed over to the side, stayed a few seconds, zoomed back to its original position, and then just zoomed out of sight. Within a second or less, it was gone. It went that fast. And we talked a lot about the implications of that. So when I got home, I found out more about the... Uh, um, um, experience of the uh, the man in our stake, a high priest named Udo Wartina. And at some point, um, 10 years later, I decided to write a book. I was a young attorney. I was um, 
a good writer. I had been told I'd won, won some awards and things. So I thought I'd try my hand at, at a book and give it the old, you know, law review uh, um, scrutiny, you know, really, really buckle down and make sure I was uh, documenting things properly, looking at the evidence properly. So I wrote a book and funny, I called the manuscript Worlds Without Number and I <laughs> submitted it to a couple of uh, um, places. And um, the one that picked it up was Horizon Publishers. Dwayne Crowther was a prolific writer in the church and a very good writer and a very good man. Mm -hmm. They picked it up and they said, well, James, it's a little esoteric. You know, it's a world without number doesn't really tell them what it's about. We're going to call your book Aliens and UFOs, Messengers or Deceivers. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you see, that was... <laughs> Now I mean, they understood that, that, a little bit. That's better, really yeah. on. That's really on the nose. Then at that point, yeah, it right? was yeah. quite on the nose. So at least people knew, and, and it sold out. And everybody, you know, I got called in church headquarters, and and they told me uh, they gave me a thumbs up. Thank goodness. And, no, no, uh, no. Wait, wait, wait. We can't just gloss over that. So you get called into church headquarters. Is it a thing where it's like, Brother Thompson, uh, we'd like to see you Friday, twelve thirty, and you're something and, like and, that. and in that in that sweet way that the church works, where we never tell one another what it's about mm -hmm. we just dwell underneath massive anxiety until the day and the time occurs so then you show up and and yep. are, are you thinking that they're gonna kibosh this and be like what are you doing this makes the church look like a bunch of cuckoos something like that okay <laughs> but actually before i wrote the book i had written elder monson a, a brief little paragraph saying look i'm thinking about writing this book i have some things to talk about these are my conclusions does the church have anything saying that I shouldn't do this? And I just got a, a brief little letter back from his secretary or something saying, uh, uh, good luck. So, <laughs> so I wrote the book. So now after it's been out for a few months, I get called in and, uh, and I thought, how do they know my number? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess they, oh, have they, stuff. they know everything, James. Oh yes. Okay. So I did go in, I, I met with someone, I don't know if I should say who it was, but, uh, I it, won't it tell. Was, it was not one of the general authorities. Okay. It was the it was the person who was temporarily in charge of the welfare system. Okay. And I thought that's interesting, but he told me that the welfare system um, has a lot to do with people who have had encounters with, mm, let's say, evil spirits and unknown beings. Okay. And uh, and he and he told me at the time that that my book was very helpful, and he and he was very careful in choosing his words. He said there is tacit approval over where the um, um, apostles are mm. of the work that you've done here. And I want you to know that they've used your book to counsel members of the church. And so I thought, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> things, things are good. But I was also uh, gratified, you know, that, that something that I'd worked so hard on, it took me almost a year. In those years, there was no internet. <laughs> you know, right, everything right. you did was at the library. Right. And then you would copy it down or photocopy it and then type it in. So I'd worked almost a year to get that first book out. And then I, I practiced law for a while, fell out of love with the law, um, became a full-time ghostwriter, which I've been doing for like 25 years now. And uh, so I write books all the time. And uh, as I was seeing what was going on with the phenomena, with uh, government coming out and admitting basically that the things in our skies are unknown to us, um, you know, I followed it pretty closely. I thought, you know what, if there's going to be disclosure, um, I better update the book and bring the saints up to date on what's going on and how it affects us. Hmm. How it, and so um, that's when I approached uh, Cedar Fort because they picked up the contract for the original book through Horizon, which is now uh, uh, Dwayne went into retirement. And I thought that they had a first writer refusal on the book. So I approached them and they thought about it and they said, yeah, let's do it. I was kind of surprised, sure. but uh, so I wrote 120 additional pages to put in the beginning of the book um, all about, um, I thought, well, I better start out with the more, the types of things you talked about, the creation and function of the universe, right. what kind of life do we know through the scriptures and through prophecy that fills the earth and how does it operate? So uh, that took up about 100 pages right there. Mm -hmm. And then I added some material about uh, the government's uh, um, upcoming report. And then the report was released during the rewrite. So I brought the saints all up to date. And then I uh, refreshed a lot of the material in the original book. I want to take a break real quick. And when we come back, I want to get into maybe one or two of these stories. You know, those things that people go, James, this sounds crazy. Or eh, what, what, 
even are you talking about? I want to get into a couple of sure. those. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. If you remember back in episode 564, we had Portia Louder here in the Cultural Hall uh, talking about her time in prison and sort of that redemption story. Her book is available on Amazon, and she would love to let you know that you can purchase it. It's called Living Louder. You can find a link for it in the show notes. And for the entire month of January, that is January 2022, if you email her, Portia.louder at gmail.com. She will send you the Audible uh, copy for free. Yeah, you get to hear her read it in her own words, her story and her experience. And guess what? I edited it. So how about that? That's a partnership. Uh, it's Portia, P-O-R-T-I-A dot louder, L-O-U-D-E-R at gmail.com. I know that you love free stuff and I know that you love to support those who have come into the hall. Listen to the episode 564 if you haven't and email Portia to get your free Audible version. Hey friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. And as you know, there's been this humongous video card shortage. In fact, there's been a huge electronic component shortage. But no need to worry. At PC Laptops, we just got in shiploads of NVIDIA and AMD video cards. We have them in stock right now. And they're available with all new PC Laptops desktop computer systems. All of our desktops are backed with a lifetime parts and labor warranty. That means if your video card blows up in 10 years, you're covered 100%. Now you can get our cutting edge PCs for as low as $29 a month. And we also have 12 month special financing. Hurry into PC laptops right now and grab a desktop computer with an NVIDIA or AMD video card. Because at PC laptops, we really love you. PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you are not yet a Patreon saint, I encourage you to do so. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. You get to see the videos of each of the episodes that have videos, like when you get to see James, his good looking face, and also a massive cover of the book Worlds Without Number. It's in the backdrop of him. You can only see it if you are a Patreon saint. It also gets you the access to all of our first 300 episodes. It's easy for you to be able to do that. Uh, now with us into the late 500s of episodes. You guys, so many episodes of the Cultural Hall for you to consume. Easiest if you become a Patreon saint, patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. James, I want to know some Well, weird... Richie, congratulations on uh, on such a successful program. I didn't oh, realize you. you had that many in the can, so good oh, for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, those are only numbered episodes. In the early days, James, we didn't number all of the episodes, so it's actually uh -huh. almost like 800 episodes. But Wow. We decided to start numbering them so that we could have episodes with number. That's the book I'm writing with. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh -huh. I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, I want to know some of these crazy stories, these things that, that whether we get, we file them into the, okay, James, maybe, or ah, that's, that's too far-fetched for me. I just would like story time from James Thompson. Well, let me share with you the, uh, the experience of Udo Wharton, the one I told you about, who had told our patriarch. And, uh, and he kept it quiet for decades, because, and even the people he taught, let, let me start, and then you'll understand a little bit better. Here, so here we have a young, uh, a young elder in the church. It's 1940. He's up in uh, northern Idaho. He's working for a gold mining company. But on, in his own time, he's running his own little gold mine off on the side. And um, he's, he's rerouted some water out of a stream. Very, it's nice water, so he uses it, you know, a, a sluice or something like that, whatever they use in mining. So he's down in there one day, and uh, he kind of hears something. And it's kind of like a whoo, 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 something like that from what he describes. And he comes on out of his little cave where he's been uh, uh, looking for gold. He comes up out, and he goes out there. And there is a craft about 100 feet wide. Um, you know, classic uh, um, saucer shape. And this is before anybody knew what that was, 1940. This is seven years before Roswell. So uh, he, he comes out and he looks and, uh, and he sees a ladder come down. He sees a man come down, looks like a regular man. And the first thing that happens is the man says, where did you come from? He says, we didn't <laughs> see you on our sensors. And he said, well, hey, brother, how you doing? And so um, then another man comes down and he says they um, one looked fairly young. One looked kind of middle aged. 
And as they began uh, talking, they apologized profusely because it's not their way to be seen like mm -hmm. that. And uh, um, so Udo, he, uh, I'm not sure if it's Udo or Udo, but he uh, um, asked them questions and they say, well, would you like to see the ship? Would you like to ask questions? So they show them around the ship. They explain everything, their propulsion system, their anti-gravity system. They explain that it's anti-gravity. They explain how they get their power, how they go from uh, one star system to another. They explain all that to him. And uh, he's with them about two hours. And then when, and he asks them in the middle of all these things, he said, now, what do you know about the gospel and the priesthood and Jesus Christ? <laughs> I mean, he's always the missionary, right? Sure, sure. So uh, um, they say, uh, we know of such things, so we would love to discuss them with you, but we're not allowed to discuss because we may not interfere. I think that's very interesting. 1940, before uh, the Star Trek uh, non-interference, uh, what do they call that thing? Uh, the well, space-time anyway, continuum? No, no, just, no. just the non-interference oh, uh, okay. policy that they have. They have a name for it, but they, they said, we're just not allowed to uh, interfere. So they said, although we do monitor your civilizations and sometimes we live among you, sometimes we give a little help when needed. And uh, when they were done, they, they shook hands and these guys, they uh, got in their ship. He saw them wobble and then he saw them take off. And he says, whatever it was, um, there was some kind of power that took all the energy out of him and he just had to lay right down. And he was there for a couple hours and he, until he could get up again. And, uh, and then that was, his, uh, that was his experience. So I document that. And I was the first to document it, by the way, 29 years ago. And then others picked on it, up on it. MUFON, uh, you know, the Mutual UFO Network. It became um, a, uh, a centerpiece in their, uh, in their journal that year. And they um, said it's the most significant humanoid encounter on record. So that's the first one. Any so let me. About so that? yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, oh, there are. <laughs> no, no, no questions. What could I possibly question about that? No, let me ask you a few questions about that. So sure. as you as you hear that, uh, as you're the first one to document it, what what is your personal reaction to it? You had known this gentleman uh, or of this gentleman and his story before leaving on a mission. Couched it in the back of your brain. You come back home. Is it a a, a mere curiosity to you? Is it something? That, that fills in a piece of gospel doctrine that doesn't exist for you otherwise? Like what, what, so what, I guess is what I'm asking, James. Well, for me, I was raised in that generation, you know, of uh, Will Robinson, you know, uh, and, and so a, a steady diet of UFOs and, and a life on other planets and things. So it wasn't shocking to me in the first place to hear it. Plus I'd always heard, you know, worlds without number. God creates, and, 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 and you know, it says, if you were to, to number the particles of a million earths like this, the number of particles of a million earths wouldn't, wouldn't approach the number of planets that God has populated with his children, human children. So I, I thought about that. I, I took it seriously. And so when I heard that there were uh, nice, nice men on ships that came down and shook hands and, and talked politely, it didn't shock me. And then again, in the interim, uh, my, my companion, Stan Harder, had told me about his personal experience, and I believed him. I mean, I sat with Stan day after day, hour after hour, bearing testimony of the truths of the restored gospel. So when he turns to me and with that same authority and same uh, gravitas, let's say, tells me about what happened, I believed him. Hmm. And so now I have a new, a new belief system. What am I going to do with it? So I jumped in and I started learning more about it. Do, does it impact uh, the historicity? Is that a word? Let's throw that in there. Why not? Say it does. Uh, 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 that these uh, men in 1940, the seven years before Roswell, were in fact men that came from the spaceship as opposed to the sort of, you know, ovalesque characters that we see depicted in movies and TV. Well, I think it's very important for one thing. The type of beings, others, whatever they are, that present themselves in many ways these days and have for the past, let's say, 60 years, um, a lot of them are humanoid. Now, what does that mean? What's the distinction between human and humanoid? Well, a human is just like us. Um, humanoid might be with some differences. 
Um, like there are the small grays, which are, you know, three and a half, four feet tall, great big eyes, diminutive uh, uh, features. And, you know, so they're and they're very popular <laughs> among mm -hmm. abductees. Um, uh, believe me, uh, from what we can tell, hundreds of thousands of people, if not more, have been have had close encounters. I don't know that I want to say have been abducted, but sure. probably have been abducted and uh, experimented upon and uh, uh, been given psychic downloads, uh, a lot of propaganda. Um, and one thing that I that I pay very close attention to is the messaging that seems to come from these beings. Tell me what you mean. Uh, well, there's always, even in the most nuts and bolts of all craft that people encounter, at some point, they appear to enter into some kind of dialogue with these creatures, usually a, um, a psychic dialogue, not a verbal dialogue. And the creatures start telling them, you know, they, they, they start out telling them things like, be good to one another, stop the violence, stop uh, polluting, uh, no nuclear uh, weapons, um, no nuclear energy, those kinds of things. You know, it's, you know, I'll have some granola and grower ponytails and, and enjoy that. <laughs> But then they start talking about the intergalactic one is coming. And, uh, you know, Jesus was, was a bearer of truth, but he's not the Messiah. The true Messiah is coming. Now, these are the same beings, you know, that we know are coming out of the craft. And they start talking to us about the true Messiah and about how we need. Anyway, it really becomes um, a dialogue more like um, uh, sitting with new age hippies. And uh, all of the all of the same types of uh, things that that uh, new age people who who channel foreign spirits, uh, you know, uh, it's the same message, which really gives me pause. And then it's filled with um, uh, doctrines of who is the Messiah, what is God, who are we, who created us. It's all wrong. It, it's all twisted, just like if it were a satanic message. And that's what really got me interested is the deceptive nature of the message. And not only me, but the but people with bigger brains than mine, like Jacques Vallée, uh, the, the, the greatest of all uh, researchers, have, have come to understand that this is a real problem, that the me message seems to be deceptive and it seems to be demonic. Let's just say it. So, so that... That's interesting to know that it runs into the into the course of demonic because what, as you were speaking, where it sort of falls apart for me is if it's if it's God, as in God whom we picture as God, as in God who with Jesus came to Joseph Smith in the Garden, of, you know, or not in the Garden of Eden, in the Sacred Grove, uh, and and appeared and, and such. When I start to hear about people of other shapes and forms. Like, I feel like God would create all in his image as far as a humankind goes. And so the idea of aliens, like people living on other planets, sure, I'm for that all day. When I start to hear about like the little grays and the, you know, some of these other folks, that's where to me, I just sort of go, eh, I don't know. I don't know how mm -hmm. I wedge that into what I think of worlds without number and, you know, God having which is why I spend worlds. 50 pages talking about what the possibilities are on life in the universe. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I, I want to ask you this, um, does this, this, um, study of worlds without number, these, um, close encounters, these, um, you know, these humanoid versus human experiences, interactions, the history of all this, d does it um, shore up your testimony or does it cause, um, you know, moments of, 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 we'll go ahead and put that on the shelf or questions that are unanswered for now? Well, my testimony is independent of all of these things. Uh, testimony comes through experience. And my experience is that there is a God. He does have a son, Jesus Christ and that the gospel has been restored in the last days through the prophet Joseph Smith. Now, we could talk about any aspect of those that we want to, mm -hmm. but those are always, I always start out at true. And I've had some personal experiences, a couple of which that I share in the book, where I was allowed to look beyond the veil. And, and I say that because I did nothing to set myself up for that, to make myself 
available for that. It just happened when I wasn't expecting it. So uh, I have some experiences that I know uh, beyond a doubt that there is a God, there's Jesus Christ, that Joseph Smith was the prophet of restoration. And as I've encountered demonic beings, they made it very clear to me how much they hate Joseph Smith and the mm -hmm. restoration. So I have no doubt about, about its veracity. Having said that, I also know that there are other humans on planets all over the universe, uh, uh, trillions as far as I know. And if some of them come here, that doesn't, that doesn't impede my, my belief at all. If some of them don't look exactly like us, I mean, what's the image of God, you know? Is it nine feet? Is it two feet? Is it black? Is it white? Is it yellow? Is it, uh, you know, how many heads? How many? I don't know. I don't know what the variations could be. What are the outer boundaries of being in the image of God? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, somewhat humanoid. When I start seeing, um, um, let's say, lizard people, uh -huh. um, when I start seeing uh, praying mantis people, I start wondering, have we gone beyond, you know, what's 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 possible. And I start thinking, I think we've gone beyond what's possible. But I do note in the book that you don't see, for instance, if you see uh, a lizard man, you know, they, 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 they have many names. But uh, if you see one, what you're seeing is a man that's been altered genetically, apparently, to look like a lizard of some kind. You're not seeing a lizard that has evolved into an intelligent being. Hmm. Same thing with insectoids, you know, reptilians um, generally. Um, they always seem to be humans that, that have another, uh, another DNA uh, added to them, spliced in. And that's something that makes me wonder too, because to me it's a presentation. Um, the message is a presentation. The way they look is a presentation. The technology they say they have is a presentation. In fact, uh, Dr. Uh, Frank Bel Salisbury, who wrote the foreword to my book and wrote a couple of books of his own on the subject, he was a uh, professor um, up, up in Utah. Uh, his book was called The UFO Display, Utah UFO Display, because he came to that same conclusion that, that this is a pageant, this is pageantry. They're displaying something in their message, which is why I think it's completely deceptive. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't real humans just like the us who visit us. Doesn't mean that at all. But but I do think that whenever Satan finds something of truth, that he counterfeits it and twists it to his own purposes. And I think we're seeing a lot of that mixed in with the real deal. So let's talk about the deception and the demonic nature of of these. Uh, uh, and its intersection, I think, and and you alluded to this in the very beginning with this, um, that it it could at least in some part be explained by mental illness. I'm mm -hmm. not to I'm not to take a big blanket and say that's what all of this is, but there are no, certainly I'd say probably a good five to ten percent can be explained that way. Okay, so so let's talk about the intersection of that that deception, that demonic nature, and then also where mental illness may play into that. Well, I will just tell you this. Um, the literature is filled with communications with these beings that I consider to be demonic, demonic deception. Let me give you a specific case. After my first book came out, I'm a Relief Society president sent to my law office, a young couple in the church, the man had just joined and they told me about their experience. And so I had a second book that came out right after that, written to a more secular audience and Dwayne Crowther at Horizon published it as well. Mm -hmm. And I included their story. Uh, it, they are Steve and Don Hess. And Steve and Don, um, uh, he was not a member. She was. And they went camping out in the Mojave Desert. And uh, they were assailed by these beings who, who arrived in craft. And, and if you read their story, you'll see that they were absolutely tortured all night long. Well, when they finally got out the next day and went home, it followed them home. We, we call this the hitchhiker effect. If anybody watches Skinwalker Ranch or is aware of uh, people who, uh, who dabble in, uh, in the unknown, those things often follow people home, which is why I do very little research, uh, field research, let's say. I'm, all at, uh, um, I'm an analyst. I'm not a researcher because I don't want it to follow me home. Sure. So, uh, but this is a real problem. 
So uh, Steve and Don, when they got home, they started having these night visitations by these beings. Again, most of them, the small gray variety. And uh, um, they would be taken aboard ships. Now, again, I don't know if this is physically being taken aboard ships or if these are all psychic downloads while they're you know, sleeping in their bed at night. But to them, they're being taken aboard ships. They're sharing the same experiences that they can talk about later. Their poor little children are being involved. And uh, at one point, the message becomes, uh, your son is going to be the prophet of the church one day. Therefore, you need to let us, you need to do everything we say. You need to let us... Uh, properly prepare him to take over the kingdom of God on earth one day. Hmm. And they're, and they're, <laughs> I mean, they, the, we all like to be flattered, you know, Sure. but then there's that thing that says, Hey, wait a minute, this is not how things are done. Right. But I mean, one day they walk into his room. I did not put this in the book, but I'll just tell you one day they walk into his room. Things are flying around like poltergeist, right? Uh, including their little son is flying around the room. Well, Don runs over and grabs him out of midair and gets him out of there. And then they run and uh, uh, she introduces him to the bishop <laughs> and he eventually joins the church. They receive blessings and all of this stops. So these are real nuts and bolts experiences. These are ongoing encounters with the unknown that stopped at the time that Steve joined the church and they received the proper priesthood blessings in their life. I don't know if that always works, but I know it works sometimes and that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. So I really tend to think that a lot of, uh, you know, it's like any tree. You can tell its fruit by its fruit, whether it's good or bad. And I tend to think that a lot of these encounters are bad. I think they're deceptive, demonic devices trying to pull people away from the gospel. And I think, you know, the scriptures talk about a great deception in the last days. And um, and I talk about that in the book. And God will allow it because he allows people to be foolish and follow whatever deceptions uh, they choose to. We certainly follow enough of them. And uh, I think that it's all part of a, um, a great Latter-day delusion that, uh, that God will allow, that Satan is perpetrating, that will help separate the, uh, the sheep from the goats. Hmm. Hmm. Let's take another break, and I want to come all back right. into this. Uh, we'll come back and do that in the third block of the Cultural Hall. In addition to recording this here show and putting it out week over week over week, I've been doing this for over 11 years now, and it has become part of my life that I will teach others how to do the same. Now, not necessarily the same as the cultural hall, but if you are interested in doing a podcast, you've thought, oh man, you know what? I've got this great idea. Uh, I do help folks in a couple different ways. Uh, One is I teach a class. It's got curriculum and assignments and the whole deal uh, that I can be able to help you walk through through as you are looking to start a podcast, uh, or if you're looking for someone to help edit, help uh, produce, help uh, you know consult on a weekly basis with your podcast, you can also reach out to me. And the best way, probably, honestly, to do that is if you find me, Richie T. Stedman, on any social media, that is a great way, or you can always just email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to help you out. Would love to talk to you about your idea. Would love to see if it would be something that uh, we could put into to, uh emotion. Let's do it. I almost said put into practice. That doesn't make sense. Uh, Send me an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, if you eat, sleep, and drink social media, we would love to hear from you. Contact at theculturalhall.com. That is our email address. And we uh, we need some help with, uh, specifically if you like Twitter. If you love and live in the Twitterverse, uh, we would love to to talk to you. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Looking for someone to help us out uh, with a more frequent Twitter post. We always do great around general conference weekends. Uh, we, In fact, I think we probably do enough tweeting that weekend to last us for the next six months until the next conference weekend. But we would like to do more, be able to share news stories and be able to, um, you know, retweet and and 
manufacture our own tweets that would uh, have you interact with us around the episodes, all those things. If Twitter is your uh, your jam, if I can use an old term, uh, contact at theculturalhall.com. If you're into other social media, you want to maybe help us out there, you can do that too. Contact at theculturalhall.com. So, James, if these are um, demonic um, intersections, if they're deception, uh, my reading of scriptures would allow me to know that there are ways that I can know that they're demonic and also ways that I can sort of usher them out of my life. You mentioned that with that particular gentleman who joined the church, that then those sort of occurrences didn't happen. But like, um, like I almost want like a Nanu Nanu or like a get thee hence, you know, Blark Blark or whatever to be able to stop these things. Do you think that there's something to that? Something that I think there is, but I'll tell you, there have been specific incidents where, um, where people have been under duress during an episode and now these are not members of the church that I know of, but they're, they're very, uh, very believing Christian people who have uh-huh. prayed with all of their strength for Jesus to intercede and make the things go away. And they just didn't go away. Huh. So um, um, perhaps it's, it's like uh, when Jesus came down off the mountain, his apostles said, uh, why weren't we able to cast these out? And he said, well, you know, these go out with uh, with much fasting and prayer. So maybe there are just different levels of uh, of being able to stop these things through either through prayer or through priesthood authority. But as I say in the book, um, I can't say what every encounter is. Some encounters may be real. Some may be deceptive. Um, there's nothing special protecting us. I mean, look at the poor uh, South Americans when the uh, Spaniards came. You know, we are not protected from other beings, uh, sure. but, you know, if if we're righteous, God will protect us collectively or individually. And I would just hope that at least for members of the church, that they would uh, um, be able to accept that this is happening to some people and that they need real help, real spiritual guidance and real spiritual protection. And I would especially appeal to priesthood leaders to become aware of this. And I hate the thought that there are members of the church who are hiding in the shadows and suffering by themselves. And I know there are, because they've, they've called me and said, James, until I read your book, I was just on my own. Now I'm going to my bishop. And that's, that's really why I decided to write the book again and, and bring it out again is because now that um, it's, good, it's going to be discussed more openly in society, I thought people at least, at least need to understand we can talk about it. We don't need to live in the shadows anymore. People are not crazy, you know, as we discussed earlier. Some mm-hmm. people are, and, and we discuss that possibility. I mean, I've had a couple of uh, um, spiritual experiences, and my first question was, uh, you know, I did some reality testing. Um, is this real? Is this in my mind? Am I starting to lose it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had that. So I know that other people who have had these uh, experiences, uh, Whitley Strieber, who's a famous, you know, famous author, and uh, he talks about these experiences. Um, he too asked himself, am I losing it? And he had himself tested. So we don't know. We don't know what percentage are mental illness, but certainly there, there is some mental illness that accounts for some of it. Uh, some people just uh, are so open to the fact that they want to be, you know, they have their little crystals and they want the crystals to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their spirit guides. They want their spirit guides to work. And they now they want to be uh, uh, contactees too. There's maybe five or 10% of that, as we said. But a lot of people are having real experiences that they are unable to stop on their own. And as far as I know, the only people who really can stop them are members of the church through the power of the priesthood so far. Why do you think people don't believe? Which people? I mean, like, uh, I think... You mean generally? I would, I, I would assume generally. I think uh, the the majority of people, maybe they would say, yeah, there is there life on other planets? Sure. But like, you know, are UFOs coming here? Or are there little grays or even, you know, people from other planets coming here? I think that most people would sort of dismiss that out of hand. Why do you think that is? Well, it used to be much, much more widely accepted. But again, um, in the uh, uh, early to mid part of the last century, the government came out and uh, started a campaign to mock and, you know, make people seem crazy if they said they'd seen something. Now, whatever their motivations may have been, I think I know what they were, but uh, whatever they were, they were successful. Um, uh, airline pilots who are the most likely to see something in the skies, uh, if they were to mention it, 
um, that they had seen something, they were grounded mm. and would usually lose their jobs after a, a couple of years of sitting at a desk. Same thing with military pilots, same thing with military radar and others. Um, this is a self-enforcing uh, system of uh, mocking and deriding to keep it into the shadows and keep it into the, the fringe, you know, the kooks. Only kooks say they see something in the sky. Well, now we've had millions of people see things in the skies, literally millions. Mm -hmm. You talk to anybody, um, talk to people in your ward, and 10 to 20 will have seen something that, mm -hmm. that qualifies as a UFO in the, in the sky. And maybe one or two will have seen somebody walk out of one. And you mentioned that there are particular people who feel a little bit more open to to this uh, contact or connection with those from another planet. Is it something that you wish you could have that close encounter? Well, I would like to I would like all of my experiences to be as broad as possible within within a, a positive realm. Yeah, because because um, it, it also uh, kind of to take your own words and then put them, you know, right in front of you. That also opens you up for the opportunity to be deceived. That's right. So I'm I'm very protective of myself and the experiences that I have. Of course, you can't you know you can't keep everything out. And again, as I say, I've had some very strange experiences, which I share in the book that uh, that I didn't look for, and I certainly wasn't worthy of. You know, no one really is. <laughs> Joseph Smith will tell you that he wasn't really particularly worthy for anything that he received, mm -hmm. even though compared to me, he was. But uh, um, yeah, I would I would like to have the experience of meeting with uh, our brethren from that hail from other star systems. That would be wonderful. Um, until that happens, um, uh, I have to assume that uh, if something shows up at the foot of my bed in the night and it has great big eyes and it... Uh, and it whisks me away onto its ship and performs experiments on me, I'm going to assume that that's not uh, one of our brothers from another star system. And I'm going to assume it's not an angel with a message from God. You, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, in reference to the, um, the gender of these interplanetary visitors. Are they always typically men, most of the time men, either men or neutral, or are there women that would come in human um, fashion and be here? Um, many, uh, the more human looking they are, the more likely you are to see women. And oh. in fact, we have some people who report that once they're on board the ships, they see very human looking people in very military looking jumpsuits and very military looking leather boots. And they seem to be uh, a part of the crew. Some are men and some are women, young, healthy, highly intellectual. Um, but we don't know if it's all presentation. It doesn't matter how they present themselves, really. Right, right. Uh, when it comes to, let's say, the small grays, which tend to be the more drones, the more uh, um, they, the, you know, they're the they come and pick you up, they take you in, they do what they need to do, then they bring you back. Um, they seem to be uh, a gender neutral. They and there are a lot who speculate that those are only. Uh, biomechanical bodies that have been uh, that are uh, run by AI artificial intelligence anyway mm -hmm. I have to ask you because at the at the very beginning of this you introduced that you have a teenage daughter how does she <laughs> feel about dad being UFO and intersection of interplanetary all this stuff is it like oh that's dad's thing and I still love him but he's crazy as far as this stuff goes or or are your kids pretty well on board with this and and down for the adventure with you. Well, I've always been very careful how I speak to my children about it. And again, it's not the sort of thing I I do a lot. Again, I don't go to conferences. I don't go to, uh, uh, you know, I don't speak in front of groups of people. I, I don't seek out publicity on this. I'm merely, a you know, an analyst who stays away from the limelight as much as I can, mm -hmm. unless a book's coming out. Then I say, hey, interview me about the book. Uh, I'll tell you about the book. But uh, I haven't really, uh, but, but I do keep up on, on a lot of the phenomena. And I do have some friends and associates who are well known in the field. And, um, and my children know I talk to them and they hear what I talk about and they see the programs I watch. And in the beginning of the book, I say, look, I watch thousands of hours of television programming and listen to thousands of hours of radio programming so that you don't have to. <laughs> and, and so that's what I do. And they know and they hear. But they also hear the way I talk about it and they understand it. So it doesn't bother them too much. 
oh, my youngest, maybe it freaks her out just a little bit at times. So <laughs> I always have to walk it back a little and say, well, sweetheart, you know, let's not worry too much. If, if people are, um, you know, interested, obviously the name of this book is Worlds Without Number, and there will be a link mm-hmm. in the show notes that people can be able to to pick okay. that up. Is there, um, are, are there in our church's history, most famously, I think it's Joseph Smith who talks about um, other humans on different planets. I think he mentions the moon and a lot of anti-folks will be like, look, there aren't people on the moon. See, you didn't know, fallen prophet, all that. Are, are mm-hmm. there things that leaders within the church have explicitly said beyond it's worlds without number, like specifically that there are people whom live on different places, or is this just a thing that we sort of infer knowing that God no, actually, has many children? Actually, there are dozens of uh of church leaders throughout the decades, centuries now, who have spoken very specifically about the subject. They talk about the nature of uh, of those people, the nature of the life they live, the uh, the types of interstellar and interplanetary communications that may go on and between us and them. And then again, we have to analyze those situations that we know about, people who have left this planet, we know are living on other planets, uh, the people of Enoch for one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everything from Spencer Kimball to Joseph Smith to, uh, you know, the Pratts, of course, they were prolific in talking about these things. And a number of the prophets have been very specific in talking about these things. So I've, I've, I have a chapter in my book, What Do Modern Day Prophets Say on This Subject? Okay. Yeah, it's a valuable resource because I think some people would be like, cool, that's great. James has got the thing. He's doing that. He likes that. Doesn't impact me and, and go for mm-hmm. it. But to know that these are leaders in uh, modern day that have said some of these things. And I appreciate what you said uh, in being able to point people towards like the Pratt references and you mm-hmm. know, Spencer W. Kimball, in addition to as many people are probably aware of. Well, I Joseph would like Smith. to think, you know, the prophets uh, have not come out and said anything about uh, these uh, UFOs or UAP in our skies lately or about the admissions that are coming out of the government, that they're not ours, whatever yeah. they are, they're not ours. Um, and that's okay. I mean, I, I assume that that when the Lord has something to say about it, he'll say it through his prophets. In the meantime, you and I can speculate and I could publish a book, but it's not authoritative. I'm not authoritative. I'm just like you. But I have thought about it a lot and I have looked into it a lot. And I, you know, try to discern through the spirit what I think is going on. But everybody is free to arrive at their own conclusions. I don't think it's dangerous at this point for us as a people. And I think that if it does become dangerous for us as a people, I think the prophet will say something. The one last question that I have uh, before the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall is, uh, as you worship within your ward, are you that guy in the ward where whenever you raise your hand to speak in Sunday school, everyone goes, everyone take a big breath. Here we go. Or do you keep most of this under wraps unless it's particular to the subject and content of what the lesson is? Well, I would just say that every time I speak, uh, everybody hangs on every... No, no. <laughs> no, I've, uh, I, I, uh, I don't raise my hand that much. And for the last couple of years, you know, since COVID's been, been out, I've uh, had a free ride doing it from home. That's right. So, uh, but... Um, I try to limit my comments to things that I think are, are helpful. I did uh, the last time I gave a talk in church, it was in Oregon at, at the coast. And you always wonder where everybody goes when they're not in church during the summer. They're uh-huh. all in Lincoln city, Oregon. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. And because they all visit the ward there, but we had uh, uh, government dignitaries and everyone else there on wow. the weekend that I was asked to speak. So I shared a couple of personal things and um, I had the feeling it went over really well, but strangely, it must be in my record or something because I haven't been asked to speak in the last two wards I moved into. So, <laughs> there's, so a little, I, there's a little asterisk next to James Thompson in the ward be. directory. So I could be that guy, but I have enough discretion that I try not to be that guy. There's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. Shoot. I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Ward missionary. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Ooh, um, you know, that's a hard one. Uh, I do not aspire to call myself to anything. I just do whatever the Lord likes me to do. I, what, I enjoy teaching, so maybe some kind of uh, teaching position. 
Uh, the final question, and we ask you to interpret this however you may, uh, the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Um, three questions are answered by the gospel. Where have we come from? What are we supposed to do while we're here? And where are we going after this life? This knowledge is my favorite part of my faith, to understand who I am, who you are, and what we're supposed to be doing, and what awaits us as the eternities roll forth. James, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen to it this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen to it next week, and the time comes you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. 